If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get started, we want to tell you a bit about the sponsor of this week's History Extra podcast, Warner Hotels. If you're looking to escape to a picturesque corner of the UK for a few days, Warner Hotels has just the thing for you. Each hotel offers everything you could possibly need for the perfect weekend away. From unrivaled leisure facilities and inspiring live entertainment to delicious dining experiences and plenty of history for you to uncover. If this sounds like your kind of getaway, Warner Hotels is now offering a series of exciting weekend packages in 2024. Each three-night stay is at one of three historic hotels, with dinner, bed and breakfast included, plus a whole itinerary of fascinating talks and Q&As with a selection of BBC history experts, such as Tracy Borman, Susanna Lipscomb and James Holland. So what are you waiting for? Book your break now at warnerhotels.co.uk. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. How have assassinations changed world history? And what can we learn by studying them as a category of political violence? For today's podcast, I spoke to Professor Michael Burley about his new book, Day of the Assassins, which explores the many facets of political murder and examines some of the key assassinations through history, from Julius Caesar and Abraham Lincoln to the mysterious killing of the Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palmer. In the opening of the book, you say that assassinations haven't really been the subject of much serious historical study as a category of political violence. Why do you think that is? Uh, Because I think people don't really know quite where to position it. And you know, it, it in a way could come under true crime. They don't they don't sort of thematize it, as it were, and look at it analytically, which is what I set out to do, you know, to see if I could do a sort of taxonomy of assassination, put things in different boxes. And I didn't really want to write a type of en- encyclopedia of assassination because it would be multi-volume. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the Byzantine Empire, you know, I think about 60 out of 100 emperors were got the chop as it were probably from their relatives or their guards and even some of the some of the big ones like I after I'd finished the book I I woke up in a cold sweat and realized I'd forgotten president James Garfield partly because he was only president for 2 months and he was he was shot dead by a man who um 
fancied himself as the American consul in Paris and kept pestering the Secretary of State for the job, and they weren't going to give it to him. He was a complete non-entity. So he looked in a newspaper and worked out where Garfield would be in a station going on his holidays to New Jersey and walked up and shot him. Although it's very interesting case, actually, that, because um, Garfield didn't die for a month. And when he did die, it was because this is pre the discovery of sepsis. About nine doctors sort of put their dirty fingers into his stomach to try and locate the bullet. And of course, they poisoned him. So at this man's trial, his defence, believe it or not, was, yes, I shot him, but I didn't kill him. Well, that didn't go down too well with the jury. But I thought that was an interesting... uh, Example, but you you can't possibly include every assassination. Them, it would be book, you know, a room full of volumes. Of course, it would. So you highlight throughout the book different, essentially, ages of assassination. So you mentioned the Ottoman Empire. You also highlight the 19th century as a time where there was lots of assassinations, and the period from kind of 1960 to 1990. What kind of societies or eras does assassination? flourishing. Well, first of all, if you go back to the my sort of archetypal assassination, which is Julius Caesar, I mean, that very much grows out of an era of civil war in the Republic. And it's largely about very ambitious men in their 30s and 40s, um, and their wives, of course, who see Caesar, who's only age 56, and could therefore live potentially quite a long time. I mean, after all, his successor, Augustus, lived till he was 76. So, you know, if you're a man of 30 or 40 and you see a, a, a sort of virile man of 56 who's, you know, in your way, you might wish to get rid of him and then you'll find all sorts of pseudo-intellectual and pseudo-traditional reasons to kill him, which indeed they did. Um, so that's one thing. And, of course, his killing plunged um, the Republic into another couple of decades of civil war. As a result, at the end of that, Rome ceased to be a republic effectively. I mean, I know that Augustus retained the outward trappings of a republic, the Senate, etc. But in fact, it had been hollowed out and it was largely imperial dictatorial rule from then onwards. Now, if you look at a later later example, the whole era of um, European religious wars, sectarian wars, um, that was certainly a spike in assassination for the simple reason that if you killed um, you know, a monarch who you had deemed to be a heretic, you could potentially change the whole religious orientation of a state or of a people. You, know, you just knock off the Protestant and then they all become Catholics with the, if there's a Catholic replacement or vice versa. <laughs> And you know, I was quite surprised, you know, that that um, the most Catholic monarch, Philip II of Spain, was offering pretty big cash bounties. I mean, a lot of money in those terms for anyone who'd kill William the Silent or Elizabeth the First. And people acted in order to collect the reward, the bounty. I mean, the man who did kill William the Silent in the Netherlands, the Calvinist ruler of the Netherlands. I mean, he was trying to get the money. Of course, you get caught on the spot and tortured and executed, but um, that was the motivation. Uh, the Venetians, by the way, were, were of course, uh, a little earlier very adept at this because they they murdered all sorts of people and they had the assassins actually had tariffs which I reproduce in the book. So you'd get so many hundred gulden if you killed 
you know, the the Turkish, uh, the Ottoman emperor, you'd get so much if you killed the Pope, you'd get so much if you killed the King of Spain. And he worked his way. And he said, of course, we have to factor in my travelling expenses as well. I, I wanted to ask you about assassins, because I think if you said assassins to a lot of people, they would think of, say, a sniper from a Bourne movie or a James Bond movie. So... Can we make any generalised statements about assassins? Is there a type of person that becomes an assassin? And also, is the is this idea of the the contract killer out for hire really that accurate when we look at history? Well, it's a very sort of <clears throat> the idea of a man with a rifle. It's usually a man. I mean, it can be a woman in some. You know that that that's very much the generalisation of a very particular American context in the sixties and seventies, where you know. President Kennedy and uh, Martin Luther King were assassinated by men using um, rifles. Not very sophisticated rifles, but nonetheless rifles. Um, in fact, that happens very, very rarely in terms of assassination. And a lot of professional assassins, um, they actually rule this out. The most frequent um, ways of killing somebody are um, you know, with a handgun, knives, or um, uh, bombs without fail. Bombs, of course, have the massive the massive advantage that you can set the timer for a very long period in advance. I mean, if you think of Georg Elser, who almost killed Hitler in November 1939, I mean, he set the timer a week before the bomb went off. So he had long a long time to get away from it. And likewise, Patrick McGee, who uh, blew up Thatcher and the Conservative Party in the Grand Hotel in Brighton, um, you know, that bomb was built into the bathroom wall a long time before the Thatcher ever used the bathroom. And, you know, it went off with a very advanced timer. So that gives you lots of advantages if you're going to assassinate somebody. One of the assassinations you look at is that of Abraham Lincoln. And you quote Benjamin Disraeli, who said after the assassination in 1865, assassination has never changed the history of the world. Would you agree with that statement or disagree? Well, it's sort of um, like him. It's sort of glib and superficial. So, um, you know, yes, uh, all right. There's lots of people have pointed out if you kill Alexander the Second, you get Alexander the Third. I mean, Tsar Alexander the Second, Alexander the Third. But even in that case, a man who was, you know, known as the Tsar Liberator and a relative reformer in that setup was replaced by his 36-year-old son who thought thought a good, you know, night out with the family was for them, the kids, to watch him ripping packs of playing cards in half with his bare hands. It takes a lot of strength to do that. He was a very tough guy and an ultra-nationalist, Alexander III. Um, but even in the case of Lincoln, which is what Disraeli was referring to when he said that, uh, he's quite wrong because um, Lincoln's successor... Andrew Johnson was a slave-owning Southerner, and uh, he did his very best to decelerate the emancip- various pieces of emancipation legislation. And I would say he had quite a big responsibility for creating a system of legalised segregation. So Lincoln certainly wouldn't have done that. So even in those terms, just with the, the case that, that Disraeli was thinking about, he was quite wrong. What we didn't talk about was the fact that in some cases, although assassins can either be so-called lone wolves or uh, 
part of very small groups like Booth and his associates who killed Lincoln. I mean, it was maybe, you know, half a dozen people, plus a wider group of people who probably didn't even know they were involved in an assassination plot. Nonetheless, you could plausibly claim that they were acting on behalf of a very sizable chunk of American opinion, you know, in the, in the American South, I mean, Confederate sympathisers um, who blamed, you know, they, they saw Lincoln as the sort of um, devil incarnate in a way, um, who commanded the Union forces and had um, won the war, and they would have openly welcomed his assassination. Could you name two or perhaps three assassinations that you think have made the biggest impact on world history in terms of initiated the biggest changes? Yeah, well, one would, would undoubtedly be Julius Caesar, which I referred to earlier, because it resulted in the the disintegration of a, a republic which was, I don't know, six, seven hundred years old. And after that event, it gradually ceased to be a republic. And you get several hundred years in the Western Empire of emperors, and then in the case of the East and the Byzantine Empire, I mean, they go on to, what, 1453. So that's a massive um, change ensuing from an assassination, notwithstanding the fact that lots of those emperors were themselves assassinated um, for various reasons. But no, there have been... Um, I mean, if you take a much more recent example, um, the assassination of um, President Habirama of uh, Rwanda in 1994... Actually, his plane went down and one of the other passengers was the president of Burundi, so it was like a double hit, as it were, on two of them. I mean, without, within hours of that event, bearing in mind that American and Belgian diplomats had already said, you know, something terrible here, genocidal will happen, especially if there's an assassination, well, lo and behold, the moment that plane went down, the uh, Hutu sort of um, extremists just instantly implemented plans which they'd put in place and carried out a sort of holocaust on the Tutsi population. And in a 100 days, you know, they killed nearly a million people. So that's a hell of a big consequence of an assassination. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Well, Hitler, of course, was very lucky not to be blown to pieces by Georg Elsa. I mean, it's very uncharacteristic of him, but he cut short a speech... But, I mean, had he still been speaking, he'd been blown to pieces in November 1939, without a doubt. And that would have had enormous consequences in terms of, you know, the millions of lives wouldn't have been lost. Time for another quick chat about this week's sponsor, Warner Hotels. If you want to get away in 2024, why not book a weekend package at one of Warner's most historic hotels? There's Little Coat House, which is a stunning Tudor manor in Hungerford. Studley Castle, a beautiful 19th century building in Warwickshire. Or Home Lacey, a huge Herefordshire mansion that was once visited by Charles I. Whichever location you choose, you'll be able to enjoy a whole weekend of live talks from your favourite historians during your stay. Find out more and book your break now at warnerhotels.co.uk. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down you may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings, that frustrating thing your mum does, or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest, whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. 
It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of history's most famous, I guess you would say, assassinations is credited with starting World War One widely, that the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Do you think that that's just a, a historical misconception or do you think it's fair to say that that really was the spark that set World War I um, alight? Well, I've thought about this quite a lot, actually, but I would, I would say that, uh, you know, some of the great powers involved very much... Um, was seeking a pretext to go to war, and that could be Austria-Hungary in the case of Serbia, which they were undoubtedly wanted to crush because, in some senses, Serbia was performing the same function that Piedmont had played in creating a united Italy or Prussia had played in creating a, you know, a united Germany. It was a relatively dynamic place. So they were looking to smash Serbia, which, of course, was allied with the Russians. And then on top of that, the German government and the military was clearly incredibly anxious about the fact that if they didn't go to war very soon against what they perceived to be their encircling enemies, that they would sort of miss the chance, the window of opportunity would close, and they wouldn't be in such a strong position vis-a-vis France or Russia, let alone England, uh, in a few years' time. So, you know, the assassination came along very opportunely for anybody who wanted to go to war. But I'm sure, you know, that Austria and Serbia would have found a reason to go to war quite regardless of the assassination. So let's just talk a bit about some of the ages of assassination that you identify here. So how about the late 19th century? What made that such a a period rife with assassination? It's it's a couple of things. One is that um, there are various ideologies, be it anarchism, nihilism in, in the Russian case, or nationalism, which actually don't just practice violence, they regard it as almost purgative, sacred, and, you know, entirely justified. So you have people who think it's perfectly all right to use extreme violence up to and including killing people. And an awful lot of people, I mean, I was quite surprised myself that, you know, the number of um, judges and policemen and whatever who were assassinated usually by socialist revolutionary terrorists in late 19th, early 20th century Russia, not to speak of the Prime Minister, Stolypin, is a very large number of people. It runs into thousands being bumped off. Um, So that's the first thing. And then anarchists, obviously, I mean, I'm not condemning anarchism 
per se, but there are strains of anarchism which certainly believe that you know you should strike at the powers that be, whether it's rural landlords or capitalists or or just the bourgeoisie. Hence, why you chuck a bomb into an opera house, you know, to hit that audience. And they think violence is entirely. And they they write books, they write pamphlets saying this is all fine. Go and do it. Um, the the second factor, which is um, much more just prosaic in a way is that by the 19th, late 19th century, whether it's monarchs or prime ministers or presidents, um, you know, had to be seen by the public. They weren't cowering inside a palace. They had to go out and about. And there were lots more venues like museums, art galleries, opera houses, theatres, railway stations, where they were very public. And indeed, they were encouraged to go and press the flesh I mean, if you think of President McKinley in America, who was killed in 1901, he was at a a trade expo in Buffalo, New York, upstate New York, and he was in the act of shaking hands with people who wanted to say hello to him when somebody came up, an anarchist, and with his hand wrapped in a type of cloth and shot him in the stomach. Um, So it's just a factor of visibility. There's a third factor, which um, I think is very underrated, is, of course, newspapers, because newspapers helped all the assassins. So if you were young Gavrilo Princip wondering where's best to shoot Archduke Franz Ferdinand, you didn't have to do any deep research. You just bought the local Bosnische Post, and it said a week in advance, well, his his convoy will be at such and such a spot and it will move along such and such a street and he'll stop there and glad hand the mayor. You didn't have to do any work at all. And most of the assassins in the 19th century were just looking up the newspapers, including James Garfield. I mean, the man who killed him, as I mentioned earlier in the 1880s, uh, he read that he would be in some station in Washington going on his summer holidays in New Jersey. So he knew exactly where he was and he walked up and shot him. Talking about the killing of public figures in public places, one of the most interesting unsolved assassinations that you look at is the shooting of the Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palm in 1986. What do we know about that and why is it such an interesting case? Well, it's it's been rehashed and reported on again and again by S- Swedish investigators and then there's a whole, whole sort of who killed Palmer subculture, you know, of people who put up various theories. So, you know, there are dozens of theories. I mean, that that he was killed because, you know, by Kurdish terrorists or whatever is one, that, um, you know, he was killed because of his um, general diplomatic stance in the world is another. You know, it just goes on and on and on. Anyway, I mean, the thing is, is that Sweden was profoundly shocked by it because it's a pretty benign, pacifistic place. And he and his wife just went out to the cinema one night and somebody walked up and shot him at point-blank range in the back. But that person has never really been been found. And also, of course, the whole police investigation was just completely botched. Right from the beginning, the crime scene was botched. You know, witness statements were botched. Everything was botched that could be botched. And... uh, it was like sort of Inspector Clouseau was in charge of the the investigation. Uh, so anyway, uh, they you know uh, they and the media because the police were constantly releasing stuff to the media and giving sensational names like the Phantom 
to the, to the assassin because people gave physical facial descriptions of, of a face, although you know that's problematic. And of course, Mrs. Palmer claimed to have seen the assassin too, although she in fact had a sort of hysterical breakdown at the scene. Um, but uh, people have tried to uh, you know come up with different, more or less elaborate theories about who killed him. They've identified various people. One man was actually put on trial for killing him and was subsequently um, acquitted and heavily compensated. Although I think in the book I come round to the view that he actually did it. That's just my hunch and everything else is just, you know, speculation. I wanted to ask you about failed assassinations. And I know that we can never tell how things would have worked out if they, if something had happened differently. But what do you think are some of the failed assassinations that came really close to altering the course of history? Well, Hitler, of course, was very lucky not to be blown to pieces by Georg Elsa. I mean, it's very uncharacteristic of him, but he cut short a speech for once in his life because he could go on for hours and uh, decided to go back to Berlin from Munich where he was talking to his old old comrades and had he had he hung around to continue the speech i think he cut the speech short because he was planning the invasion of france so he had to get back to to berlin to do that but i mean had he still been speaking he'd been blown to pieces in november 1939 without a doubt and that would have had enormous consequences in terms of you know the millions of lives wouldn't have been lost and indeed at that point i suspect the uh, given that none of the other Nazi leaders quite quite shaped up with his particular set of characteristics, I'd have thought that the German uh, military command would have been in very good position to carry out some sort of putsch, which, you know, okay, military government, but it could have been a military government which would have taken on more benign forms or re- reverted to democracy after a few years you know, who knows? So clearly assassinations, Disraeli was wrong. Assassinations have really changed the face of history. Definitely. You haven't asked me who my favourite assassins are. I would say, without a doubt, the most professional assassins in the book were the Soviet NKVD. And these are men who were, and women actually, uh, who were sent, first of all, to... um, you know the, the the Republican side in the Spanish Civil War to take care of ideological deviants and Trotskyites and any nationalists they got their hands on, and uh, they you know given that most of them were actually Russians, they then became plausibly Spanish to the point where you would not recognise that they were not Spanish. And then if Stalin wanted to deploy them somewhere else, you could send them to I don't know Costa Rica. And they would claim quite plausibly to be born in Costa Rica. You would not know the difference. This is just so incredibly professional. And if you look at the the mother and son team that murdered Trotsky, you know he the son Ramon was clearly a professional assassin had killed a lot of people in Spain and afterwards. The mother was a professional assassin. She was a Cuban Spanish aristocrat. And Ramon Mercada, who did kill Trotsky in the end, I mean, he I was quite fascinated by him because he had about five layers of identities, okay? And even though he was caught and beaten up after he'd, he'd killed Trotsky, by the way, his mother was outside in the getaway car, but she never got to get away, or he didn't. Um, he was When he was in prison for 20 years, I think for the first six months, criminologists and psychiatrists talked to him for six hours a day, six days a week for six months. 
And he would talk about his dreams, about his relationships with his mother and father. They would get him to do psychometric tests in dark rooms, like moving his hand across different height objects and then being able to draw them afterwards, taking a rifle to bits and putting it together in three minutes in a blindfold, etc. And at no point did they ever get beyond the first two identities? I mean, they knew who he was saying he was when he was caught. He was pretending to be a Canadian called Frank Jackson. They knew that he'd adopted that name when he was supposed to be a Belgian playboy, which is how he had a love affair with one of Trotsky's secretaries, which is how he got into the Trotsky circle. So they got down to those two. But then there were three other identities down below that, And after 10 years, bearing this in mind, one of the policemen went to Madrid or Barcelona on holiday, and he had a mugshot of this man in his wallet. Just out of interest, he went into the police station and said, have you ever come across this character? So they went through their files, and they said, yes, that's Ramon Mercado. He was here during the Civil War, fighting on the Republican side. And that's the only point where they knew his identity. It's just incredible ability to become somebody else. And then it's also very sophisticated in the sense the NKVD had psychiatrists working for them, psychologists. So they would, for example, use somebody to establish whether you would take a take a gift from a relative stranger. So if somebody came up to you in a restaurant or bar and said, oh, Mr. So-and-so, I'd love to give you a box of cigars or chocolates, would you take it? And lots of people do. Now, once you've established that principle, the next box of chocolates is going to blow you in half. That was Michael Burley. His book, Day of the Assassins, A History of Political Murder is out now, published by Picador. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley. Before you go, one final word about this week's sponsor, Warner Hotels. If you fancy a break in 2024, you can now choose from three fantastic weekend packages at some of the most historic Warner Hotels. For instance, Littlecote House is set in a stunning location in Hungerford, which has played host to Romans, a civil war army, and the planning of the D-Day landings. Meanwhile, Studley Castle in Warwickshire was used as a training camp for the Women's Land Army during the World Wars. Find out more and book your break now at warnerhotels.co.uk. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.